All right. For those who are joining us here, and I'm so glad that you're here today, it thrills me to look out and see you at Broomfield Baptist Church. It really does. I love this church. Our church family is a wonderful church family. And I know that you're here today because you love the Lord and you want to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And there are many other places you could have been this morning, plenty of other places you could have gone, but you chose to be here with us. We thank you for that. We want to be a blessing to you. And we pray that the Word of God will encourage your heart today. And so if you're joining us in this service, and if you're listening maybe elsewhere, online, or by other means, we invite you to join us in your Bible in the book of John, chapter number 20. John, chapter number 20. I'll draw your attention down to verses 24 to 29. John, chapter 20, and verse number 24. I read an account here about one of the appearances of our Lord Jesus. He appeared to Thomas, one of the twelve. John chapter 20 and verse number 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We've seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within, Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, Would you read these words together out loud? My Lord and my God. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Lord, I pray and I bow before you and ask that you would take your word this morning and may it have free course. I think of all that would stand in the way of that happening and I cast it under the blood of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would remove any distractions from our hearts and minds and may they be stayed upon you, stayed upon our Jehovah. May you be high and lifted up in our midst. Lord, I know that my words are really to no avail this morning, but if you would take your word and drive it into our heart as a hammer, if you would smash any hardness in pieces within us, within myself even, Lord, I permit you to do that. I allow you to do that with your word. Please me asunder, Lord. Lay me open. Take as the great physician your scalpel in your hand through the power of the Holy Spirit. May your word reveal within me where I fall short of Jesus. And Lord, make me more like him. As I consider this account, as I consider Thomas, as I consider my own faithlessness in certain areas in my life, I pray, Lord, that you would speak grace to that. I would behold your mercy and your love. And I would be able to see your grace bring healing. Not only me, Lord, I need this personally, but I pray for each one here under the sound of your word that they would find the same healing, the same grace, the same powerful name of Jesus Christ name above all names, to be what they need this morning. I pray you'll strengthen our faith, help our incredulity, Lord, any area where we might still be holding at a distance. Tear those down and have your way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 
Many of you might be familiar with the name G. Campbell Morgan. He was a great Bible expositor of days gone by. There's a story about how he, uh, he had a moment in his life that really called him into question. And uh, lest I get the story wrong, listen to how the account was given. G. Campbell Morgan had already enjoyed some success as a preacher by the time he was 19 years old, which is a lot better than what I can say because the Lord didn't call me to preach until I was 19. So he was already down the road in that regard. But uh, he, he'd already been preaching, and he's 19, a young man, okay, uh, in the ministry, serving the Lord, but then he was attacked by doubts about, and this was interesting to me, he was attacked with doubts specifically about the Bible itself. The writings, you know, in his day, in G. Campbell's Morgan's, Morgan's day, this would have been when Origin of Species was just being published and made abroad. Uh, Charles Darwin's work there on evolution. Uh, you had John Tyndall. You had Thomas Huxley. You had Herbert Spencer. The Enlightenment, humanism, and all of those things. These, this, this was the era where that was just on the rise in the forefront of everyone's mind. So rightly so, as a young man, 19 years of age, he's encountering all of this from the humanistic perspective, and he's holding his Bible in light of it and going, what am I going to do? He came to a crossroads, in essence, and I believe the Lord was testing his faith in some ways. Hindsight's always 20-20, isn't it? So as he began to read their books, you know, Origin of Species and the writings of Huxley and, and Spencer and the others that I mentioned and probably some more, Morgan, he became more and more perplexed what did he do? What was his answer to that? He's reading these accounts, and they don't seem to line up with the faith that was ingrained in him from childhood. Right? There's a conflict. What, what was his answer? What did he do? He cleared his preaching calendar, and I think rightfully so. He, uh, he canceled all of his engagements. He didn't go to another preaching engagement. He put all of the books in a cupboard, and he locked them with a key. All those books, Origin of Species, all the other things, he put them all in a cupboard and he locked it up. He went to the bookstore and he bought himself a brand new Bible. He said, I'm going to get in God's Word. He said to himself, I am no longer sure, and this is a quote, he said, I am no longer sure that this is what my Father claims it to be, the Word of God. What that sink in. Here, you know, he had grown up in a good home. His dad had said, this is the Bible, this is the Word of God, you can trust it. And now all this stuff's coming at him, and he says, can I really trust that that's true? Is this really God's Word to me? Did he reveal himself through this? Again, he put all those other books in the cabinet, he locked them up, he went and bought himself a new Bible. He says, but of this I am sure. I can no longer be sure that this is what my father claims it to be. The Word of God. But, but I am sure of this, he said. If it be the Word of God, and if I come to it with an unprejudiced and open mind, it will bring assurance to my soul of itself. That was a wise thing to do, I think. You understand what he did? I think we're all on the same page here, aren't we? He put all the other stuff aside. He said, if this is Bible... Then it's going to speak to me of its own accord. I don't have to look anywhere else. I can look here and God will reveal to me whether what my father said about this is true or not. And Campbell Morgan sat down with his scriptures and began to pour over them. And what was the result? I love this phrase. With exclamation points. He says, the Bible found me. The Bible found me. 
Friend, I'm glad you're at church today. As a pastor, okay, I want to tell you, church is the answer. We'll see you back here next week. Make sure you get to the offer. Church is not the answer you need in your life. Church is a great place to be and a great place to come to be with God's people. But friend, there is one answer. And you need to come to the place in your life where you can say like G. Campbell Morgan, the Bible found me. It wasn't I found the Bible. Look what I found in this. It's God found me through this. You're going to have to spend time with it for that to happen. You're going to have to open its pages. You're going to have to seek it wholeheartedly with an unprejudiced mind. And say, Lord, if this is your word and you've revealed yourself in this way, then speak to me. Let me know the truth of your word. Set me free, Lord. The result, Morgan said, was the Bible found me. And so this new assurance, this was all the way back, all the way back in 1883. This gave him the motivation for his preaching and teaching ministry. And he began to preach and teach. And by the time he was finished, uh, I've got the copies of his analyzed Bible in my library. And I love to go to those. He had such an analytical mind. He could sit down with his scriptures and, and just outline things in a way that it just made sense, you know. And so do I agree with him on every facet of his mind sort of doctrine? Well, there's probably some things where I would take a different perspective on it. But the man knew the Bible, hands down. And, and he was convinced that this was God's truth. And he devoted himself to the study and preaching of God's Word. Now, why do I give you that illustration about a man named G. Campbell Morgan as we're approaching another passage that I read for you in John. What's the connection there? Is it just another story that I can tell you and you can feel good and go out? No, I'll help you make the connection. Because G. Campbell Morgan experienced what Thomas experienced right here that we read. See, Thomas came to a, to a similar crossroads. I think we can apply that, can't we? The Lord had shown up to his disciples after he had risen. You know, the ladies came and they shared their story and nobody believed them. The Lord upbraided them for that. If you read Mark 16, they got in trouble with Christ for not believing the report of the ladies. Okay, uh, That's a whole other message for a whole other time. We won't, we won't delve there. Jesus Christ appeared to his disciples, but guess who wasn't with them? Thomas wasn't there. For whatever reason, he had gone. He wasn't in their midst when Jesus Christ came. And so when they did catch back up to him, probably sometime throughout the week, they tell Thomas, we have seen the Lord. An interesting way they phrased it there, if you look at the language. We've seen the Lord. He's, I don't want to put the words in Thomas's mouth. Okay? We want to be kind to Thomas. So don't take my interpretation of it the way that Thomas actually said it. But if I could use my glorified imagination with you for a moment. <laughs> yeah, right. You saw what? What did you eat the night before? Yeah, I'm here. This is just my imagination. Thomas didn't say that. Did you have pizza too late the night before? No. Now, let me say this too about Thomas. For a long time I heard that Thomas was doubting Thomas, and maybe you've heard that Thomas was doubting Thomas. But I don't call him doubting Thomas anymore. I call him disbelieving Thomas. Because not one time, not one time, when I look at every account that's given about Thomas, do I ever see him in my mind doubting anything. Uh, Thomas is the kind of man that I think has got some backbone, uh, he's called Didymus, which means twin, and I think he's got a lot of twins today, by the way. I think there's a lot of disbelievers like Thomas that need just a little help from the Lord, all right? But that's, that's a side application. You can take that home with you. If you're a twin of Thomas, then you need to get right with God. I'm, I'm kidding. Are you awake yet? Okay. 
So Thomas, when you see him in the account with Lazarus, remember it's Thomas who, who says to the disciples, after Jesus says, let's go back to Jerusalem. Okay, Lord, if you go back there, they want to stone you. They're, they want to put you to death. Do you want to go back there? And Jesus says, yeah, we're going to go back so I can raise Lazarus out of sleep. He explains all that. And Thomas is ready to just say, okay, Lord, we're going with you. Even if we die, we're going to go with you. So Thomas is that kind of person. If you want to call anybody doubting, you might say Peter is a doubter. Uh, Peter doubts many times. But Thomas, not one time do I see him actually doubting. I see him adamantly refusing to believe, which is what we find here. The disciples tell him, yeah, we've seen the Lord. He's already heard it from the ladies. Yeah, we've seen the Lord. He says, I'm not going to believe that. I refuse to believe that. Now, let's give Thomas a little credit. I, I think Thomas you know, is a discerning person. And isn't it right for us to test things? I mean, should we just believe every wind of doctrine that makes our way? Should we believe every teaching that comes by us? Should we not have some discernment? So before we throw too much at Thomas, let's remember we need to have an analytical mind sometimes. We need to break things down and say, what's really true here? Because everybody can't be true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So if Jesus said that, then I have to believe that there's only one way back to God. There's a lot of people today that that wouldn't sit very well with. And the fact that we're saying that from this public forum, from this pulpit today, is not going to resonate with very many people around us because they think all roads lead to God somehow. But Jesus said He's the only way. He's the only road. And He came to give His life. So it's not me saying that. Okay? I'm not asking you to believe me on that. I'm asking you to look at the Scriptures and do business with Jesus on that, that He said He's the way, the truth, and the life. I'm just pointing you to what He said. But Thomas here, I think we need to give him some credit on being discerning at least. Now, was he right? Had they seen the Lord? Was it a very kind thing for him to look at his friends and call them crazy in essence? And say, you're nuts. There's no way. God didn't show up to you. You say you saw him. You must have seen him. Now, I'm reasoning this out in my mind how I would answer. Okay, not Thomas. Don't put words in Thomas's mouth. But if it were me in Thomas's shoes, I would probably come away saying something like that. Yeah, you saw him. You said you saw God? Okay, yeah. All right. Let's, I'm not going to believe that. Thomas wasn't very kind to the disciples that was giving him the report. Can I just say this? I, I have people come and knock on my door, and maybe they go to a church that I don't necessarily agree with, that I wouldn't necessarily go to. I'm not talking about somebody who denies the deity of Jesus Christ. Let me make that clear. Okay, there are people out there who deny that Jesus is God, and I don't bid them Godspeed because this Bible clearly teaches me that Jesus Christ is God. So that's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about somebody that might come and knock on your door, leave some literature or something like that. And it's got the gospel on it, okay? Enough to be able to show you that Jesus died for your sins, that you're a sinner, and that you need to trust God to be your Savior. I might not agree with them on everything, but you know what, friend? They are sharing the greatest news you could ever hear. Let's be kind to them. Let's be kind. Thomas wasn't very kind. They come and they say, we've seen the Lord. And he says, I'm not going to believe that. No, there's one way I believe. He gives him a condition. He says, if I can, and if you read his words here, in John chapter 12, chapter 20, sorry, in Ezekiel. My Bible turned over there. John 20, verse 25. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, 
and thrust my hand into his side. Both his words. Not, I might not, or I'm doubting about it. He says, I'm not going to do it. Just not going to do it. What happened with Thomas's dis- disbelief? The Lord Jesus himself. Get that, get that. It wasn't some preacher that the Lord sent to him. It wasn't a church that the Lord sent to him. It was the Word Himself, Jesus, came to Thomas and dashed all of his disbelief, put it away. And friend, if you're ever going to see Jesus for who He is, you're going to have to let Him come to you and invite Him. Draw nigh to God, He'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Resist the devil, He'll flee. Submit yourselves unto God. Draw nigh to Him. He'll draw nigh to you. So Thomas is going to have the Lord draw near to him. Jesus dispelled Thomas's disbelief by inviting him. He gave him a personal invitation. Feel. Touch. Because then, through your senses, since you're a sensory person, Thomas, and you've got to learn by, by experience in this way, you understand what that meant? That meant... Okay, let me connect it for you if you haven't already. Many of you already have, and I'll preach it to the choir. I get it. But listen now. Jesus had told Mary before, touch me not, for I have not ascended unto the Father. By Jesus extending the very invitation for Thomas to touch him. Do you understand what that meant? That meant Jesus was allowing himself. He would have been willing, I believe, to allow himself to be defiled in that way. And I'm sure there would have been a process. He could have been cleansed again before he ascended. But nevertheless, he was willing, was he not? He was willing to let himself be defiled if that's what it took for Thomas to finally get it. Oh, what a loving Savior we have. Nothing, nothing will keep us from his love. Nothing separates us from his love. And he reaches down to us in ways that that we just can't even fathom sometimes. Now, Thomas never went through with that, okay? You read the passage, Thomas never defiled him. He never touched him. It was enough for the words of the Lord to say, if you need to, Thomas, but Thomas at that point, I think his heart was smiting him. I hope it was. I know mine would have been. I I would have been humbled at that moment to say, my Lord and my God. And friend, as a believer, you're here today, you name the name of Christ, you love the Lord. Let's be a help to those who are walking in Thomas's shoes, so to speak. Let's not be a hindrance to them. There's so many things that the church can do to hinder people from coming to Jesus, and it just it breaks my heart. We need to make it easy for them to come to the Lord and, and hard for them to leave. Amen? They need to know the love of Jesus Christ in deep, deep ways. And we can help dispel their disbelief with the Word of God, by using the Word of God. And so we need to do some things in our midst. We need to protect the sacredness of why we gather and assemble together. We need to protect that with everything we have. We need to guard that as a treasure. Because Christ said, where two or three are gathered in my midst, in in my name, there am I in the midst. And so when we gather in an assembly like this, you know Jesus is in the middle of what we're doing. If we love Him, and if we're His disciples, He's right here with us, we need to protect that. And uh, we also need to continually put ourselves in a place where we can hear the Word of God and we can contemplate the wounds of Christ for us. He died for us. He died in our place as though He were us for us. 
And when we put ourselves in a place where we can regularly hear the Word of God. Now, why do I say that? Because for whatever reason, the first time Jesus showed up, Thomas wasn't there. Maybe he was legitimate business. They kept him away. But you know what happened when he missed one Sunday? Anybody ever felt that way? I know it's like that for me. Uh, it seems like when I miss a Sunday, I miss, it feels like I miss like a whole month or a whole year, and I come back and I'm like, man, what happened since I was gone? I know I'm not the only one that feels that way. But how much can you miss, even in just one time? Thomas missed a lot on that day. He sure did. He missed the meeting with the Lord. Jesus showed up in their midst, and then, and then he comes back. So uh, what am I saying? We need to be in a place where we can hear the Word of God. Because if Thomas had been there the week before, read it, it says eight days later. That means from Sunday to Sunday. Thomas wasn't there the Sunday before. He comes back the next Sunday. They say, hey, Jesus showed up. And he says, yeah, right, I'm not going to believe that. Well, then he has to wait another Sunday, and then Jesus comes in their midst and dispels all his disbelief. If Thomas would have just been there the first time, right? Well, I won't hammer on that. I won't meddle like a preacher. We need to be in a place where we can continually hear the Word of God. And that doesn't mean just come to church every time the doors are open. That means in a place in your life where you can hear the Word of God. Read it in the morning. Read it at lunch. Read it at night. Let the Word of God minister grace. See the wounds of Christ. Look for Him in the pages of Holy Scripture. Let that be your, your heart's desire. Feel the heart of Jesus. If you look at the appearance accounts of our Lord after He rose from the dead, He deals with emotion. He deals with intellect. He deals with the will. When He appeared to Mary, that was dealing with the heart. The emotion of the heart. And what love in that display when He came and said, Mary. Up to that point, she thought He was a gardener. And He said her name. Mary. What love. How did that move her heart? To John, when he appeared to John. He looked in, you know, he got to the tomb first. Remember that account where he's running and Peter's running and, and then he outruns Peter because, well, we won't go there. Uh, but, then, but then John gets to the tomb first and he looks in and he looked, but it didn't connect with him. And then Peter comes and he goes in a little further and then the light bulb goes on and he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. It is the Lord. He's risen. Why? Because he saw the napkin, right? The whole napkin thing. Yeah, Peter, Peter put that together. So with John, the appearance is to the intellect. With Mary, the appearance was to the emotion. And here with Thomas, I believe he was dealing with the will. Will you believe? Thomas said, I will not. I will not. See, intellect, emotion, and will are all connected because we're people, we're persons. We have those earmarks. And so we've got to give ourselves and say, Lord, I am willing to believe. And I have not seen, but I've read, and I believe. And then we can live blessed. That beatitude there, that beatitude is given at the end of our passage. If you go back to John 20, I'll read this verse and, and we'll wrap our study time down together. Towards the end in verse 29, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Look at this last beatitude of our Lord. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Friend, that's a promise for you today. You want to live a blessed life? You want the blessing of the Lord on you? Will you believe? That's all we're asking. Just like G. Campbell Morgan at that crossroads. Put all the other world stuff away. 
get with this book and say, Lord, I'm going to do business with it until you have the Bible find me. And I will, I will believe. Be not faithless. Be not unbelieving. Stop being unbelieving and begin believing in all that the Bible says about Jesus. That he came, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on Calvary, and rose from the grave the third day. I'm sorry about the interruptions there, folks. Just pay attention right here because we're winding it down, and I won't keep you much further on this Easter Sunday. This this has been a Sunday with challenges we don't normally have. And I, we were on the way here this morning, and uh, I think I leaned over to my kids, and I said, you know what? I think the devil wants us to do this today. It was just like everything was coming at us when we were trying to leave the house. Nobody else ever experiences that, do they? You're all just, just already down the road spiritually. But think about that now. Will you believe? Will you take the Word of God to heart? And will you take what Thomas went through and come to his conclusion and say, My Lord, my God, He's mine. Do you claim Him today? Does He claim you? Does Christ own you? Are you in His book? Are you in His Word?